Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here. Are you an artist, graphic designer, or just looking for an opportunity to stretch your right brain? Somewhere in the Skies has partnered with our merchandising company, tpublic.com, for the ultimate Somewhere in the Skies fan art contest. Running from April 1st to April 30th, we'll be taking submissions for your design to be featured in the Somewhere in the Skies store. That's right, your art will be on sale in our official tpublic store and available in all different items. From t-shirts, sweatshirts, tank tops, stickers, buttons, mugs, and everything in between. You'll also receive half the commission on every order of your design. And receive a gift box of items with your design. Compliments of tpublic.com There are literally no limitations on how you choose to design. The only rule is that it must say Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Somewhere in the Design. The top three designs as voted by TeePublic and myself will then be presented for a public vote on May 1st on the Somewhere in the Skies Twitter account and the Somewhere in the Skies Facebook group, where you can cast your vote for the winner. Second and third place winners will receive a special gift from me as well. To enter, submit your high-resolution design as an attachment to ryan.spreg51 at gmail.com. Again, submissions must be received no later than 11.59pm EST on April 30th. I'm really looking forward to seeing your artistic abilities and interpretations of what the show means to you. And I can't wait to have your exclusive design in the official Somewhere in the Skies store. For questions or to discuss further, don't be afraid to reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or at ryan.spreg51 at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support. And now, get designing. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. In 1991, a package was sent to various UFO researchers across Canada and the United States. The package included several documents claiming to be top secret and involving a UFO crash in CARP, a small community in Ottawa, Canada. Along with the documents was a VHS tape that appeared to show a UFO that had supposedly crash-landed in the region. 
On the label of the VHS was a fingerprint and one simple word, Guardian. The case soon made international headlines, with researchers from the US and Canada digging deep, trying to find out who Guardian was, and if any of this was real. One of those researchers was 16-year-old Ian Rogers. And now, the story of Guardian and Ian's involvement has become the focus of a new documentary on the CBC called UFO Town. UFO Town weaves together two compelling narratives in an attempt to uncover the human side of this otherworldly event. First, an investigation into what prompted someone to kickstart this alien frenzy. The second, present-day interviews with local residents in the area who witnessed UFO sightings and are convinced that this incident happened at their doorstep. And locals, authorities, and experts who argue that all of this was a sophisticated hoax. Today, Ian Rogers recalls the string of events that led him on a path that changed his life and has kept us all wondering for decades now, who was Guardian? And was any of this even real? Let's take a trip down memory lane to UFO Town with Ian Rogers. Welcome everyone to Somewhere in the Skies. I am your host, Ryan Sprague. And today we are celebrating the 30th anniversary of a, I wouldn't say famous, but probably infamous UFO case out of Canada. Somewhere we don't hear a lot of cases out of. Uh, we often look at this from very Western United States eyes, but this is one of the seminal cases in Canada, infamous, like I said, for many reasons, which we are going to dive into tonight. This is the Carp Guardian UFO case. And with me today is UFO researcher and author Ian. Ian, thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies, brother. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, this is going to be fun, man. I mean, the first I ever heard about this case, I wouldn't even say the case, mm-hmm. the video was mm-hmm. on one of those, you know, Fox specials back in the 90s with best video evidence of UFOs. And there it was, the mm-hmm. Guardian video. And it it scared me when I was a kid, man. Mm-hmm. I remember being like, wow, this is one of the the best UFO videos I've seen in a long time, kind mm-hmm. of because you have to use your imagination. Mm-hmm. of what's actually in that video. But um, I'm really getting ahead of ourselves here. I do want to talk to you all about this new documentary that you're featured in, UFO Town on the CBC in Canada, um, and the entire CARP Ontario UFO case. But before we do that, I have to get the origin story. What is your Peter Parker moment of uh, getting into this UFOs, um, being a paranormal and UFO researcher. Yeah, give us the origin story, if you don't mind. Um, well, my parents are big enablers. As like I said, it goes back to my parents. My my mom um, loves horror movies. Um, she loved ghost stories, all that kind of stuff. Um, my parents are both from the east coast of Canada, Nova Scotia, which is really, really rich in uh, folklore, ghost stories. Everyone's got a ghost story out there, and they all swear that they're absolutely true. Um, so my mom was just the really, the really strong paranormal supernatural influence. And my father um, was constable in the RCMP, and um, his parents were both in the military. So it was very much a, you got the military, sort of the law enforcement side, then you got my mom's side with ghost stories and the supernatural. And um, as I'm growing up, uh, as I'm a teenager in the 90s, what's the TV show that's really popular? It's the X-Files. So 
it was just, it was like a TV show that was made for me. You know, it was just uh, uh, the combination of these interests, ghosts, UFOs, unsolved mysteries, um, combined with this law enforcement element where it's like, if you had a government body to investigate these things, what would it look like? What would they, what would they actually do on a day by day, case by case basis? So for me, that just, um, that was something that I always wanted to do. I was really just looking for a case that I could investigate myself. And as you say, a lot of these things don't tend to happen too much in Canada. I, I've read so many books on UFOs. I'd watched so many TV shows and documentaries and all of these things were always happening elsewhere, you know? And then one night I'm watching unsolved mysteries in the early nineties. And there's this, as you said, this really spooky videotape, um, I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, the, the, the reason why the Guardian tape is so spooky is because most UFO um, photos and videos are of a light in the sky. This is on the ground and it's big and it's in the dark. And then you've got these four flares on the other side. So it's it's very unusual. And the provenance of, of the sighting is unusual because this came via a, a, a videotape that was sent anonymously to investigators by this person who's calling himself Guardian. So um, it just felt like... Um, it just felt like this bolt from the sky that said, this is, this is something that you have to look into. And when I realized it was only a few hours from my house, um, it, like I said, it just, it just felt like it was a real seminal moment in my life. Like this was something that I have to look into, even though obviously there are already other investigators looking into it. I'm thinking, um, I'm going to go check it out myself. You know, it's uh, it was a big moment for me and that's what it was. It was my, my parents. And then that night of that unsolved mysteries episode. That's cool, man. Again, like you say, when when these things happen in your own backyard, mm -hmm. like you have to just take advantage of that. And you did. I remember in the documentary that we're going to talk about uh, you getting out there in mm -hmm. your trench coat, just oh, like yeah. Mulder, which um, I, I know exactly how you feel. We all have those those Mulder moments as mm -hmm. UFO researchers of, oh, my God, like we're actually doing what we saw play mm -hmm. out on television uh, in some respects. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to get your opinion on X-Files later on in the sure. conversation, but I guess rewinding back to the guardian case. Mm -hmm. Now your introduction was the unsolved mysteries. Mm -hmm. uh, mine was this thing on Fox back in the nineties, but mm -hmm. maybe give us, paint us a picture. I know, um, you know, there's some discrepancy between 1989 mm -hmm. and what was it? 1991 mm -hmm. that kind of culminate the entire guardian thing. So would you mind kind of walking us through those first moments of when guardian came around, um, which investigators were given these cryptic materials, as you said. And uh, yeah, maybe give us a little overview of what Guardian is. Yeah, certainly. Um, Guardian first sort of came into the public prominence among UFO investigators in 1989. And he sent out, I think it was like a two-page sheet report that was describing a crash retrieval operation in the um, Carp West Carlton area of uh, Eastern Ontario. And accompanying this, this report was a... Um, photograph of what was supposed to be an alien but which looks very much like a guy in a, in a, a mask in a field with sort of uh, tall grass in, in the foreground uh, not not very convincing and um, I believe some of the um, it was either QFORN or MUFON investigator MUFON Ontario investigators Canadian investigators um, sent someone up to the area and I think one or two people reported seeing a light in the sky um, around the time that the um, the Guardian described uh, when the event was supposed to have taken place. But they pretty much wrote it off as a hoax. No one else saw anything. Um, the report talked about military vehicles coming in to remove this UFO. Um, 
in this area. And there was no evidence of any kind of military activity or um, roads being constructed to get into the swamp to access this thing, much less retrieve it and move it out. No flatbed trucks or anything. So the there wasn't a lot to the 1989 um, material. Um, it was also sort of very right wing conspiracy stuff like it was. Um, I think uh, I believe Chris Rutkowski got some of it. And I think he had mentioned before that the the Guardian's manifesto, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, was very similar to white supremacist literature around the same time. So I think um, uh, there, there was he just basically written off as like a crackpot, just your hardcore conspiracist who's who's got these beliefs. And he's also roping in some some racism there as well, too, which which happens with a lot of uh, of the right wing conspiracies. Um, and yeah, so nothing, nothing happened. They didn't really make anything from it. There wasn't really anything to see. Uh, two years later in 1991, um, Guardian came back uh, again with more material. Um, this time he's got what he says are DND, Department of National Defense documents um, with your classic blacked out censored materials like you probably saw in a movie because that's not actually what censored documents in Canada look like. But um, that's what Guardian thinks they look like. Um, including all kinds of other wacky stuff. There was diagrams explaining how um, uh, UFOs avoid our radar. And also this is the part that's just sort of bonkers, like why they, they, they need to have flares in a triangular formation in order to land. Why an alien spacecraft who is able to you know, technology that they can fly this great distance, but they need road flares in order to land on the ground, but it's there in his documents outlining it. And um, he'd also included a series of playing cards, um, with all kinds of ramblings on them. There's actually references to like Richard Doty, um, other UFO whistleblowers and how they're all basically false. Only the guardian knows that was what was written on them. So it's, um, it was a real, uh, real can of worms. It, it was, a, it was a lot of really wacky material. And again, they probably would have dismissed it again, but this time he included a videotape and um, the videotape um, had a label on it that said guardian with a thumbprint. And, um, this videotape, this package of material was sent to various investigators. Chris Rakowski got some, uh, MUFON Ontario got some, Q Forn, um, Bob Exler in the United States got some. Um, the, the tapes were, were sometimes sort of different. Um, some people only got a couple minutes of footage. Some people got like 10 or 15 minutes. I think Bob got some of the longer stuff, but his tape had no audio track. So weird little things like that. I don't know if it was stuff that was done on purpose, but no one really believed that they got like a first generation quality of this tape. The, the footage, even as you can see in Unsolved Mysteries, was um, it, it wasn't great quality, you know, not to mention you're shooting at night, you know, so it's uh, it, uh, it, it, it adds to the mystique and makes it spookier, but also makes it harder to identify exactly what it is. Yeah, exactly. And again, I mean, that's the problem we run into with any UFO investigation when it comes mm -hmm. to videos or photos, especially today. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's so yeah, anything can be faked today. Like, this is why, like, you haven't seen a big UFO case in years. You know, I'm, I mean, I keep a toe in the in the industry. I'm not active as more anywhere as an investigator, but I, I like to keep track with what the big cases are. And there just aren't any. I remember the last time that everyone was really excited about something were these so-called Roswell slides which turned out to be a hoax, you know, big surprise. Right. So it's, yeah. um, and, and ever again, I mean like, Oh, the Navy, the U S Navy is releasing uh, reports. Uh, they're still interested in your post. Again, it's interesting stuff, but again, it hasn't really amounted to anything. It's provocative, but it doesn't prove anything. It's uh, it, it keeps the, um, it keeps the subject alive in the hearts and minds of people who are interested in that. But for me, 
um, going back to discovering Guardian in the early 90s, it was it was like the second renaissance of ufology. You know, you had the or the first was like the 1940s when like flying saucers that becomes the terminology Roswell, and then uh, for me the second renaissance was the 90s because you had um, the alien autopsy tapes, you had the 50th anniversary of the Roswell incident, you had the X Files, you had Fire in the Sky, Independence Day. UFOs and aliens had never been more in the pop culture than they were in the 90s, um, generated by, by real cases, too, but also in, in entertainment and media. So it was just I was in the right place at the right time, raised by the right parents to be in this place to um, try and make my mark uh, on this case that fortunately was just a couple hours away. And my mom was willing to let lend me her car. So <laughs> we should really go into a ditch. I talked to her, I touched on that lately and I've had a few people uh, email me since then. They said, I got to hear the story about the car in the ditch. And uh, uh, later on, if you want to hear that, it's, it's not UFO related, but it actually, it is pretty funny and, and relates to the, to the, to the town and the attitude of the town. Because when the car went in the ditch, I was like, my mom's going to kill me. What are we going to do? Not to mention the investigation is done. <laughs> right, right. Investigation over mom's car yep. has been totaled. Yeah, exactly. I get it, man. But, um, well, let's, I guess, okay, so a lot of these groups, I know, like, MUFON in Ontario and, and everything, um, they were very hesitant to uh, to really pursue this thing mm-hmm. kind of from the start. I mean, a lot of people were like, this is like MJ 12 all mm-hmm. over again. Like it's clearly meant to um, muddy the waters. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe it's a hoax perpetrated by people to, to either make fun of all these UFO people out there or mm-hmm. legitimately, maybe something did happen, mm-hmm. but um, the RCMP did get involved with this. Am I correct mm-hmm. yes. in assuming that? Can you tell us a little about that? Because again, yeah, hoax is one thing, but when, right you know, law enforcement gets involved. That's a whole other story. So what was kind of their peripheral, uh, I guess, investigation into this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, as you as you say, I mean, like the RCMP does not investigate UFO. Like there are no Canadian X-Files, unfortunately, or else that's where I'd be working today, you know? So uh, my father over and over again said, no, you're going to have to get a real job. There are no RCMP X-Files. You're going to have to go to law school, you know, or, or you know, you're going to have to do something. So um, the RCMP got involved in the Guardian case because... Um, it was described in the uh, in their documents. Uh, again, you can you can request the uh, from access to information the the case files on this, um, or you used to be able to. I think it's been archived now. But you can. Yeah, but I did. That's how I. That's how I, that was sort of like my golden ticket into the investigation was the fact that I was able to get the constable's um, full case files, like censored, of course, but everything: his notes, his interviews, his photographs, everything. Um, they got involved because, um, as you see in the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast, after the Guardian event supposedly took place, um, there was a helicopter came over the area after the, the UFO departed, um, the classic black spooky helicopter, black unmarked helicopter, um, flying low in the area. And it turned out when, uh, when we were investigating that um, low-flying helicopters in the area um, had been reported by a number of people, um, even people who hadn't seen or had any interest in, in the UFO case. Um, the area is on a flight path and there is a military base nearby, but these were people saying that these helicopters were flying really low. Um, they reported, some people reported like damage to their property, damage to their roofs, um, damage to fields. As long as they would land in fields to perform maneuvers, um, according to some people. Um, so the, someone, um, involved in the case, um, made a complaint to the RCMP under the, uh, some sort of act, basically, um, 
these helicopters are, they have to fly above like 500 uh, feet or a thousand feet or something. So that was, that was largely how the RCMP became, came to be involved. And because the low flying helicopters aspect was so wrapped up in the guardian case, the constable ended up sort of inadvertently investigating the UFO case as well, even though it wasn't really his mandate, but the two were so wrapped up together. It was, like I said, it was about as close as you were going to get to a Canadian RCMP X-File. So he investigated everyone. Bob Exler was involved for completely other reasons. Bob, um, Bob um, likes to work with um, uh, government people for, for two reasons. One, um, it's it's a it's a ego thing, you know. Look at me, I'm this investigator. I'm working with my buddies here in the NSA or in the RCMP. We're working together, and he also um, he also thinks that uh, if I if he, if he helps them, they'll they'll help him, you know. So it's like, oh, if I do this for you, you'll give me your secret, you know, classified uh, RC, you know, uh, UFO files. But there aren't any, you know. So I mean, he thinks he's he's like he's going to get into them and they're going to reveal all their secrets. In this case. There was a third reason why Bob um, sort of insinuated himself with the RCMP, and that was because he was trying to get Guardian. First of all, he's trying to find Guardian, and then he was trying to get Guardian to confess, to basically to say everything. You have to understand, after 91, we have never received any more material from Guardian. I do not think um, Guardian thought he was going to get the response that he got much less major United States television coverage. And there's not been a peep since then. So Bob was trying to use the RCMP kind of like as a cudgel to get guardian to, to confess, you know, he, the, the idea was that, um, that this person that they suspected at that time, um, the way they were going to go out and the way that Bob wanted the RCMP to go at them was through something called the fraudulent check act. And because guardian had sent out these DND documents that were very clearly forgeries, um, Bob's thinking was, well, this guy broke the law. You know, he's forged government documents. You should charge him under this act and that'll scare him into confessing. So, and the RCMP was like, yeah, we're not doing that. (laughs) You know, not to mention at the behest of this, person from the United States coming in and telling them how to do their job. Right. Right. There's all kinds of reasons why, but I mean, it's right there in his, in his case notes that he just, you know, not, not very meanly, but that he, you know, that he basically questioned um, Bob Exler's background and his motivations for, for what he's doing, you know? So it really says something that once you get outside of the field of ufology and people who like each other or don't like each other, and they've got opinions about Bob, whether they're valid or not, you've got this guy, this RCMP constable who doesn't care a whit about ufology or much less UFO investigators or MUFON or anything. Um, and he has the exact same opinion of Bob. So, I mean, what does that say? It's just, um, again, uh, Bob passed away last year. I don't, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I mean, in, in a historical comp, uh, context, the, this is, this is what happened. I mean, this is the story. It's on the record. Um, I worked with Bob, you know, like I knew him, um, and I stopped working with him for a reason. So again, it's, uh, I, I try to be very, um, um, I don't say clinical about it, but I guess about fair, you know, I try to remove, remove emotion from it and, and how I felt and just get back to the investigation because that was how I got involved. So mm-hmm. again, it's just like uh, my, my issues aside with Bob, I mean, he did um, cast a lot of light on, he had the TV contacts. That's how he was able to get unsolved mysteries involved, but he also really wanted to be involved. That's why he's like the face of the investigation. He didn't want anyone else to be involved. You, you'd think that he was investigating on his own. Um, Graham Lightfoot um, is in the unsolved mysteries broadcast um, but after that, it's just Bob, you know, it's Bob all yeah. the time. So, I mean, even though there was all these other people involved in the case, so, um, he, he wanted to own it, you know, it's just, it, it happens with a lot of UFO cases where, um, 
sometimes there is just one investigator who's doing the doing all the work, but sometimes they they just get territorial and they just they only want to be that person who's involved. So if you're going to talk to someone, if the media is going to talk to someone, it has to be me. They want to be the face of this thing. I'm the one that's going to write the book. I'm the one that's going to. Um, I wouldn't even say monetize it, although sometimes they do make money from it. I mean, Bob was selling the Guardian tape for 35 bucks a pop out of UFO magazine, you know, and, and of course, it's not his property, right? I mean, yeah. he did not take ownership of this videotape, but um, he uh, he had his own little investigation, uh, obviously, uh, his own little tape that he had set up with the Guardian footage on it. But I mean, it didn't take him very long to to package this and start selling it, you know, so, yeah. you know, it's... And- well, Ian, you bring up a lot of good points. I think you're right. I mean, first of all, you've got this guy from the United States coming in, you know, to, um, you know, basically into uh, CARP and everywhere around there and like taking control of this mm-hmm. when clearly there were enough investigators, whether through MUFON or independently, who could look at this case um, and might even know some of the witnesses. But mm-hmm. I think you're right, you know, not to speak ill of the dead as Bob did pass away, but um, it's quite clear. I think the documentary Mm -hmm. makes it clear um, his involvement with every television Mm -hmm. uh, event that covered this, that uh, he wanted to be front and center. And you're right. There are certain investigators who kind of hang their hat on that that one case and they want all the attention. And Mm -hmm. in some ways I understand it, but in others, I, I... I don't know. Maybe it's just the the New Yorker coming out in me in mm-hmm. me. But like, if some dude from the U.S. came over there and was like, "All right, I'm in control of this. I'm the face of it," I would be like, "Get the hell out of here, buddy!" Like, we got this covered. But um, well, I'll, t- I'll tell you two things about yeah. that. Um, from from the documentary point of view, this was one of the reasons why I feel the documentary is really good as well. Um, they they weren't out to um, to speak ill of anyone, whether it was Bob or the witnesses or anyone. It's it's a very respectful documentary because the people who made UFO Town are very respectful people. They're they're really really good. When I I first met with them it was about a year ago was when we first started this um, year ago January when we met with them or when I met with them. And the first thing for me was like I want to know what their intentions were with this documentary because if they're going to come out and say this was real, I'm not involved. Like I'm just even if they're going to say well maybe it was aliens and they want to be ambiguous, I'm not interested. We were we were very firm with our conclusions um based on this case um and i did not want to be involved in something like a sort of like a like some of like the fox ufo shows where it was really outlandish where they're chasing guardian down the street and stuff really sensational like um but i found out very very quickly um when i was meeting with um harriet luke and, and nick uh nick crow the producers um they're good people and they had really really good intentions and um, I can't, I, I can't consider them friends to this day. These aren't just people that I worked with. This was, this was an experience, you know, like this was something that I'm always going to remember. It wasn't just, Oh, it was nice. And they, they produced a good product. These are good people. Um, they're artists, you know, like it, it's, it's a beautiful documentary. It's beautifully shot. Um, the tone that they get where they're, they're, they're picking up the guardian story that people didn't get after unsolved mysteries. People didn't, unless you go online, you go to find the old Mufon reports um, no one really knows what happens. Did they ever find Guardian? Did he ever send anything else? Like no one really knows. So I feel what one of the things that UFO Town does really well is, is it it tells the rest of the story that no one has had for 30 years in the public. And then it also gets to explore on a larger level um, belief systems. Why do we believe the things that we do? Um, and even Guardian, you know, like even if this was a hoax, and I think um, it really comes across that we still believe that it was, um, 
why did Guardian do the things that he does? So it's, 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 it just it opens up all these really cool questions without being really judgmental about it. And, and that's what I liked about it. It's, it's not bitter. It's not, it's, not, um, it's not melodramatic the way that sometimes you see other UFO documentaries. It's not, um, it's not like this documentary version of clickbait where you're, trying, where you're getting something um, different than what you think you're getting. It's, it's just a solid documentary. You know? I'm, I'm proud to yeah. be a part of it. You know? yeah, and the other thing I, I was going to say about the investigation was oh, yeah, um, when Bob came up, when you're talking about how he was with the with the Canadians, mm-hmm. the Canadians weren't really even going to go up and check it out. When Guardian sent the second batch of stuff, like we already knew who Guardian was, right? So it, we weren't going to waste our time. But Bob had got a copy of the tape. So he contacts the Canadians and says, well, I'm going to come up. I'm going to go check it out. Maybe we can do it together. You guys can help me. You can show me around. So I think that there might have been some people who were going to go check it out anyway, but uh, now that Bob was coming up, um, a large group of Canadians, uh, Canadian UFO investigators, go up. So um, one of the things that they that they really noticed. And again, I don't I don't really adhere that that Bob was guardian or that Bob was more deeply involved. It was maybe he was, but th- there's an impression that Bob seems to know his way around, like he's been there before. And there was definitely when 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 they were tr- tromping through the the swamp and like mosquito hay like a. Uh, no may like like it's the thaw right it's messy the the bugs are out um they're going through the swamps of like west carlton trying to find this landing site because guardian had included a map of the area in his second batch of material um and the canadians were just tired and like this is stupid like this is a hoax anyway you know so they just all most of them peeled off and left they went off to get something to drink and um they're cracking jokes like oh yeah you know bob will show up in half an hour and say that he found the landing site right and sure enough, you know, he came back, hey, I found it, right? And it's like from a tape at night, right? I mean, with no context, there's no, there's not even really any sense of scale in the, in, in the video. So, but he comes back and says, oh, yeah, I found it, you know, because he found what he thought were irradiated juniper bushes, which were just basically bushes that had been, you know, driven down to the ground from the thaw and probably snowmobiles, big snowmobiling in that country. But he sees them and he thinks that they've been irradiated, you know? So, I mean, that's just immediately that's Bob to a T like, like he would just jump to these conclusions. And, and when you see him on the unsolved mysteries broadcast, he's, he's very skeptical of the alien images. Why would guardian basically taint this great UFO footage with these aliens that could be just someone in a mask. But then two seconds later in his, in his video that he's selling for 30 bucks, he's come around. He says, Oh, well, the aliens actually might be real because it appears that they're blinking between frames. It's like, well, Bob, they're stills like, how do you know that they're not just, you know, changing the eyes or anything? I mean, it's still very like we, me and my friend, me and my teenage friend faked those photos in a farmer's field with I was wearing a full black bodysuit and uh, white latex gloves and, and a white garbage background with with uh, with uh, construction paper eyes of various uh, diameters. So they would look like blinking. And it took two seconds, you know, like it was just it didn't it didn't take any effort. Um, but that but that was something like with Bobby would say, this is really convincing based on like little to no evidence he would just assume the grand thing like well it must be aliens when there's all these other more likely possibilities um it was his reasoning it was just his reasoning in my mind was flawed as an investigator is what i would say yeah and i think that flaw comes with uh like you said a want to believe and that often clouds the judgment of many investigators whether it's in the ufo field or you know anything unexplained mm-hmm normal, supernatural, cryptids, um, that that trying to separate your beliefs from an investigation, it's hard to do. I yeah. totally understand why some investigators get caught up in that. Um, it's, like a religion. it's like a religion, it you know, like you can't, it's yep. just funny because you're dealing with something scientific versus something that's religious, which some people would say are opposites. 
but it's, yeah. it comes like people feel it's like, what do they say when someone has a ghost encounter and they've got nothing to back up? It's just a story. Well, I, I don't care. I know what I saw, right? Like they, they, that's what they always say. Right. It's just like, yeah. well, you know what human beings and our perceptions, even our five senses are so fallible that there's all kinds of reasons about why what you experience might not be at all what you think, but, but we always feel so strongly. And I admire that. I admire, I think our, our passions and, and, and those things that way, way we feel are, are one of our great strengths, but it's like, it's a double-edged sword. It can also be used against us because then it could be like, well, it was actually this, this, and this, but you were, you know, this is the logical thing. So it's hard. I mean, I don't, I don't try to come down too hard on the believers, but as an investigator, I don't have that luxury of saying, yeah, you're right. It probably was aliens. I have to be skeptical, you know? So I always yeah. say that I started, I started in this like a Mulder and I became a Scully by the end of it, you know? And I think that that's the reason why that show was so successful. That's why they made such good partners. Mulder said it more often than not. You keep me honest. That's what he used to say to Scully, you know, like she would always, he always, she always feel like she's driving him up the wall. And he's like, no, no, no. I, it's the other way around. I'm doing this to you. You keep me honest in this work, you know, or else he'd be, he'd be like a wacko UFO nut that day. It's uh, it's the balance. <laughs> it's like all things in life, right? It's the balance. Right. Right. We, we'd all end up in the, the basement, like the lone gunman, you <laughs> right. know, I, I get it, man. And you're right. I think um, as investigators, it's not, I, I always tell people who want to get involved with UFOs and everything. I'm like, don't go out there trying to prove that aliens exist. Mm -hmm. That's not your job. Mm -hmm. Like leave that to the scientists, leave that to, to the many people who have um, studied every various scientific field in that realm. Mm -hmm. Your job is to try to find a prosaic explanation mm -hmm. for what somebody saw, mm -hmm. you know, and when you're left with no other answer, then it's mm -hmm. still unexplained maybe it's alien or maybe it's a million other different things and um you know when it comes to the guardian case um the big thing was okay we've got this video cool but uh we don't have any witnesses like no one's really coming forward and then you know lo and behold there were certain people who claimed to have seen that craft land in the forest um can you tell us a little about susan gill mm -hmm. this woman who was featured in the uh, in the documentary on CBC a little bit about her and her involvement with all this Hey it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith co-star of my upcoming film If only in theaters May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Susan Gill was, um, uh, I mean, we didn't know her. Well, her, her name wasn't made public originally. Her, she was going by a pseudonym at the time in terms of the 
um, the TV shows and stuff. I think it was Sarah Janiel was the name she was using, but yes, her Susan Gill was, was her real name. Um, I believe Bob found her. She was, she lived in the area and, um, Bob was trying to find other witnesses to either to the, to the guardian event or to other UFO activity in the area. Um, Su- Susan Gill is, is always very interesting because not only did she claim to witness the event, but there's also an abduction um, component to it. She claims that she was um, brought aboard the craft. But what's also interesting about the Susan Gill case um, is there's been some disagreement about whether or not her event was actually part of the Guardian case or whether or not Bob was just trying to take sort of disparate events in the in the area and make them part of the Guardian narrative. So um, it's, it seems very clear to me that people were seeing stuff in West Carlton even before. There, there's newspaper reports of people seeing weird entities and, and, and UFO sightings before before 91, before the Guardian tape even came out. So um, independent of the Guardian event. So people did seem to be seeing something in that area. So uh, Susan could have totally had a legitimate experience and maybe it wasn't even connected to Guardian, but Bob either maybe coerced her or suggested to her that it was. Um, I had also heard from another investigator that she had actually been writing a novel about um, alien abduction and that it wasn't, her experience wasn't even a real event. It was actually a fictional thing. And that Bob was the one who was trying to make it sound like it was real. So it's just, again, you've gone into a UFO case. It's a hall of mirrors. Um, I was never really sure. I never spoke with uh, with with Susan uh, directly myself. It was it was more some of the other Canadians, and it just reached a point where uh, she was not happy with Bob. She didn't want to talk to the Canadians either. She was just sort of done with it. But I, I think um, there was um, when Bob was reporting on this, and and one of the, I think it was UFO magazine um, or UFO something. I can't. Remember. It was one of the magazines at the time. But some of the the, uh, the openings had these descriptions um, of of this abduction encounter and. Um, it turned out that those these these parts of these at least parts of these articles were actually pieces of Susan's um, novel um, mm-hmm. or her writing, whether it was her experience or whether it was a fictional novel. But um, if you look up the Mufon on Terror report, I believe that there was a point when Susan was upset with Bob and she was actually going to sign an affidavit saying that um, she hadn't had this experience the way that he described it. He would basically was trying to um, buffalo her, you know, sort of. You know, make it more part of the guardian event. Um, and I don't think she actually did that. I think she was just sort of fed up. And, and frankly, I don't blame, blame her. You've got all, all these strangers coming onto your doorstep and they're, they've got different motivations for it one way or the other. Um, but uh, it's so hard to say now it's one of these things where it's like, did she actually have this experience? Uh, maybe, you know, like, I mean, she seems sincere. She seems like a nice person. I mean, I never actually got the chance to meet her, um, her grandson who's featured in UFO town, but he seems like a good guy, you know, like it's uh uh, I believe him, you know, like it's, uh, it was, it was very convincing. This is just a guy who cares about his grandmother and his grandmother had this experience. Um, but again, it's so hard to say, right? I mean, there's really no proof beyond someone who says something that happens to right. you. So me as the investigator, I just say, Hey, that's really interesting. You know, is it proof of anything? Not really. But again, it's just, uh, it's what I say in the documentary. It's like no judgment. It's, it's, it's not for me to start going, you're a liar or that's not enough. It's just, I just collect the information, you know, like I want to hear the stories. I, I want to get what I can get. Um, it's really hard to draw conclusions from any of these things. Even when you do have a videotape or a photograph, um, mm-hmm. what conclusions can you really draw? Right. Especially today. I mean, where you can fake a UFO video with the apps on your phone, you know, it's just, there's a, there's no video today that I would see that that's going to convince me nothing, yeah. nothing. Like if someone actually sends me a video and says, Hey, it's aliens. Okay. Like, hey, that's cool. You know, that's neat. You know, it's not proof of anything. It's, um, 
it's uh i think the guardian tape was about much about who who i was at that time as it was the fact that this was pre-internet and it's this video and it's really spooky today i look at it as like oh yeah it could have been this or it could have been that and maybe it's because i'm older and i'm a bit more jaded as as you get when you're when you're older you're more skeptical and you're, maybe you don't believe as much as you did when you were a kid but um I tell you, when I still watch the Unsolved Mysteries footage, and I, and I was showing it to my wife for the first time, um, it's still spooky, you know. I mean, yeah. and, it's, and it's a good show. I mean, we 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 still we just we keep watching it. We've been going through all the old episodes because it's it was just a fantastic program. So, yeah. um, just it was just a moment in time, man. It was just like I was in the right place at the right time. Like I said, raised by the right people. Um, uh, there's so many other people like Chris Rakowski, Tom Theophanis, um, Errol Bruce Knapp, Drew Williamson, people who. Um, did much more investigative work on boots on the ground. Like it was, it was so much already, a lot of it had already been done before I got there. Mine was really more the RCMP angle. Um, my, because my father was in the RCMP. Um, when I was, when I connected with Bob, um, I didn't know about the history of Bob. I didn't know about uh, anything about him. I just knew that he was the one in all the TV shows. That's why I contacted him first. Mm-hmm. And he, he, the minute that he knew I was a Canadian, I wasn't working with MUFON Ontario. I wasn't part of QFORN. Um, he was trying to get me to um, get the declassified file, the RCMP file. He didn't get it because he's an American. He can request it from access to information. Um, the Canadians, when they filed their requests, all that they were getting was this 10 to 15 page final report. It was just, they knew there was more. They knew that there was like all of this material that the investigator had, but they didn't know how to make the proper request apparently, uh, or something to that degree. Mm -hmm. My father, obviously being in the RCP said, this is how you do it. This is exactly what you ask for. And yeah, then one day I get this giant envelope in the mail with like this 200 uh, page document and it's, it's all photographs or photocopies. But it's like it's photographs, it's his handwritten notes, um, it's uh, all the reports, interviews, all this material. And again, it's all censored. But if you know who the players are, it's really easy to fill in the blanks. So that's what I was doing. A lot of it was just filling blanks. And I even met with the constable. I, I got he he agreed to meet with me um, at RCMP headquarters um, when I when I went up there with a, with a friend of mine. And um, I mean, it was really interesting for him too. And he was he was very gracious. You know, like he just answered all of our questions and. Uh, um, he, the RCMP, his standing was that was a helicopter. And, um, I think that it's even more prosaic than that, even more mundane. I think, I think the thing in the, in the, in the tape is just a pickup truck with a floodlight, you know, and four flares. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. and it's not even just the fact that it looks like a pickup truck. If you know what you're looking for. I mean, there, there is, there is a guardian suspect who, who had a truck that looked very much like that. I mean, like there's a whole part of this case that we just didn't really have the time to get into. And of course you can't name names and stuff in a documentary because you don't want to, it's privacy, right? I don't want to name these people. I could be wrong for all I know. Right. So these are real people with real lives, but, um, I mean, I absolutely have my ideas of, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's a small town, man. So like there was a ton of suspects and people, <laughs> That's a good talk, point. people talk, okay. you know? So, um, I will say that, uh, and I'm not going to name him, but the person who they thought was the guardian suspect, um, coming back to this investigation 30 years later and kind of reinvestigating it again, because I just kind of had to, you know, you sort of realize that, um, your wire, the wiring is still there. It still works. So I, I couldn't help but sort of investigate again, um, what I will say about the the previous guardian suspect is is having um, more recent in, uh, information. I don't believe he had anything to do with it. It's just um, I think he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The person who sort of I would guess you would say outed him to the UFO investigators. Um, there was a reason why this was a person who actually has a great deal of interest in UFOs, um, but he was not the guardian. You know, he 
again, it was just he's you've got someone there who's just sort of it's it's sort of like circumstantial evidence. You know, it points this yeah. certain way, but it doesn't mean that it's true. So um, but again, it's you've got a, a documentary that's 44 minutes. You can't get into these tangents. Right. Because you have to sort of have this focus. So, yeah, the, the RCMP investigation isn't touched on and other things aren't touched on, not because they're secret, but because there just isn't the time, you know, it's uh, the information is out there, obviously, if you want to Google it and find it or have someone on your podcast who, who knows, <laughs> a lot of the story. but again, yeah. it, it just comes back to, um, yeah, I have a pretty good idea um, who, who guardian is. And um, it was really cool being able to come back after 30 years and still learn new things. And, and to have this experience with these documentary people who just treated the subject matter with such respect Um for everything. Like I said, even, even the people who uh, may not come across so well um, in the investigation itself, um, they were just so gracious, you know, like this wasn't, this wasn't a hit piece or, or a smear piece. Um, they've just really, really, it really turned into something really cool, which was just something really interesting could have been happening in this area. Um, the guardian stuff is almost certainly a hoax, but the fact is other people were having these experiences completely independent. They, they had nothing to do with guardian, um, I think her name is Lee Cole, one of the women uh, who was interviewed in the documentary. She's the classic case, though, right? She had an independent experience. The Fox Network tried to rope it in the Guardian. And she's right yeah. there on film saying, that's not true. They said that, and that's not true. It was perfect. Right. That's one of my favorite moments in the documentary, because, like, there you go. That, to me, that is the case. That's Bob to a T. Like, he was trying to find things that would um, reinforce his narrative, which will really help when he was going to write his book, I'm sure. But... Um, it kind of collapsed beneath him because one, there just was, it wasn't there. You can't, um, you know, you can't make a, uh, uh, you know, a silk purse out of a sow's ear, as they say. Yeah. And, um, and you had the Canadians actively saying, you know, uh, not, de- not even debunking him. You know, they, they're just, they're not going to let him um, swindle the public on this. And like, this is our town. This is our province. This is our country. You know, we're not going right. to let you do this and, and make a buck off it, you know, for something that's blatantly false. So um, I think that that's, that's another reason why UFO Town succeeds, because it's not trying to make the Guardian case something that it isn't. It's trying to show that maybe there was something going on in this area, and the, and this person who was Guardian, this, this sort of uh, hardcore conspiracy person, um, took advantage of it, you know. So it's, uh, that, to me, is much more likely. Um, when, when you see the people that were involved were, like, hardcore into UFOs, I mean, I remember... Um, when, when you see the literature, if you go online, I, I think it's out there. Some of the, some of the other guardian literature, like it's spooky. Like it's, it's yeah. the stuff that would have got along really well with the QAnon nuts these days. Right. It's just yeah. right at home. It was, it was like predicting this stuff 30 years ago. Um, I remember going up there and, um, it was either the RCMP constable or one of the other, um, Canadians, um, were telling me that, um, the, the people that they were suspecting to be involved in this hoax, they're, they're not just obviously you they're kind of right-wing conspiracy people. They don't like the government, you know, they're, they're anti-government. Um, you should be careful. And of course I'm not thinking, I'm thinking, okay, it's like, and especially don't tell them that your father's the RCMP, right? So like, <laughs> I'm not even thinking this. You have to remember me and my Mulder trench coat, I'm in the woods. Yeah. Um, one of the things to this, to this guardian case was there was all these kinds of weird signs on, on some of these rural properties, like DND killing fields, nuclear testing ground, but spelled wrong. So um, it looked like war games, like a, like a, like maybe paintball or child or teenage war games are going on out there with people that had very strong anti-government beliefs. So I'm here trying to get photographs of these, of these signs in my Mulder coat, tromping through three feet of snow. And the signs are like, like this is hunting territory, right? The signs are all full of buckshot and stuff. And as a 16 or 17 year old kid, I'm not even thinking that, 
I'm not wearing a blaze orange hunting vest, you know, like I could get shot out here, you know, and it's just, but that's what I think today. You're like, I can't believe some of the stuff that I did as a kid when you would just like, you would approach these people and the person who we thought was guarding at the time, I'm going up and I'm knocking on his door to see if he'll talk with me. And, and of course there's no one there. So I leave him a note and, you know, I'm trying to be very polite, being very Canadian about it. I don't want to hassle this guy, you know, but uh, I sure would like for him to talk with me not realizing that this person could be unhinged, you know, this person could just jump you or something. But uh, again, it's just sort of like the callow youth, you know, like you don't, you don't really realize what you're, what you're getting into. Um, in this case, it was just so wacky. I mean, it, I've said it so many times, and I think I said it in the documentary, but, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's true, but it, it's like, it's a movie. It felt like I was in a movie mm-hmm. in, in the UFO lore. Like, there's just nothing like the guardian case. This, this mysterious person with this name, this cool sounding name, sending out these, this material and there's maps and you have to track down the location to where the crash UFO was and the bunker and everything. It's just, it was cool. You know, like it was, I would have done it anyway, but like there was, there was an X-Files, the Mulder component to it. Like I, I I liked the coat, you know, don't get me wrong. It wasn't just where it wasn't just an affectation. Um, um, I can't, I come by all that stuff very honestly. It wasn't just like, well, I really like the X-Files. It's like, well, I like the X-Files, but this is the reason why. My dad's an RCMP. He's a federal agent. You know, like my my mother is like uh, hardcore and a ghost in the supernatural. That's what I was raised on. It was like my dad had all these National Geographics and my mom had Stephen King novels lying around the house. That's my upbringing. That's why you've got 16-year-old UFO investigator gets wrapped up in the Guardian case. And today you've got 44-year-old horror novelist, you know, so that's... <laughs> You know, like it sums it up more than that, man. I mean, that's right. I could just draw a line, you know, it's like, oh, Twin Peaks, X-Files, Guardian, shake that for 30 years and you've got me. You know? <laughs> that's what you got today. What a journey, man. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you bring up so many good points. I mean, one, it's like this area was clearly activity was going on, mm-hmm. whether it's UFOs or, um, you know, like you said, there is military, mm-hmm. um, there is a military base somewhat nearby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so clearly something was going on and it was so good in the documentary to see these everyday, all walks of life people saying, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if it was what this guardian thing was, but I mm-hmm. saw something or, you know, you've got another witness saying he saw a helicopter come down, guys get out and mm-hmm. get back in and leave. And, He's not saying, look, it was a UFO. He's saying, this is what I saw happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was really good that the the documentary um, made that point, like you mentioned, with the one witness who said, I saw something like four years after the Guardian event, mm-hmm. um, but they said that it happened at the same time. That happens so often. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we're creatures of pattern. We want to make patterns out of things, mm-hmm. whether that's subconsciously or maybe in Bob's case, consciously mm-hmm. trying to lump everything together to make it more than it actually is. Um, well, let me, let me run me, into that let problem me tell you a lot. Why it was so hard. Let me tell you why it was so hard to find that pattern, though. The perfect yeah. example is the tape itself. This weird thing mm-hmm. with these four flares. RCMP says it's a helicopter. And yet in the RCMP report, the investigator spoke to a bunch of military guys, a bunch of helicopter pilots as part of his interviews in there. They're all saying, oh, yeah, it could be this helicopter could be that. But the thing is, is those the flares don't fit. If this was military maneuvers and they're doing night maneuvers and they're practicing like flying as low to the ground as they can get without landing or in this case landing, they don't use red flares. They use infrared flares. They only show up in infrared. So the flares don't match. So it's like anytime you try to find a pattern or a logic, this is why 
um, I, I get that the, the RCP constable and he was on encounters. Like he was actually like, he's, uh, I guess I could name him, but I'm, I'm going to leave him alone. So, <laughs> but I mean, he, he was involved in one of the Fox programs and he, and he, they're adamant that it's a helicopter. And for me, it's just like, I don't even think it's anything that cool. I think it's a pickup truck, you know, and the guy's got a couple of road flares he got from Canadian tire or home hardware or something. So I think it's, uh, someone was trying to go, I think it was one of the unsolved mysteries people or someone connected was like, Oh yeah, to, to have faked this, it would have cost, um, a hundred thousand dollars. And we're like, no way. There's no way. But again, it's, it's supposed to, it's, it's a line that you give that's supposed to add to it's aliens. You know, it's yeah. just like, it's, it's, it's supposed to back up that. And, and that's not evidence. You just, you can't throw a figure like that and then say, Oh, it's aliens. Like that's, unfortunately, that's the way that some people hear it. Right. I mean, people yeah. believe what they want to believe. Um, I don't have that luxury as an investigator. This is the reason why um, on the X-Files, just to talk about that show, how often was Scully ever right? You know, she's never right, you know, because again, if, if she's right, they don't have a show. It's a pretty boring yeah. show if every other week, even if she gave, even if it's 50-50, right? Every other week, Scully turns out, oh, it's it's not a monster. It's not an alien conspiracy. It's It's something mundane. You don't have a TV show. No one wants to watch that TV show. And so the reason why believers attach themselves to cases like this is because the mundane is boring. Life is generally fairly prosaic. It's not. It's not uneventful. But movies and TV shows are way more exciting. It's way more. It's more fun to believe, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. helicopter pickup truck. It's not interesting, you know. But I got interested because it's interesting. But I I stayed an investigator because I had the wherewithal to realize that even if the conclusion isn't satisfying. Um, it's still the truth, you know, and that's, that's, that's what you have to, that's what you have to accept. You know, I think that's, that's why a lot of investigators burn out because it's not what they want it to be. Maybe um, for me, it was just the guardian case was the biggest case I was ever involved in. Everything's downhill after guardian. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, you, you bring up a, um, you had a good line. I don't remember if this was in the documentary or in um, the article you wrote over at the CBC, but um, it was something to the lines of, um, you know, sometimes the mystery is better. Yes. And I think for many people, that is the case. You know, I got into UFOs not to solve the mystery or find out that aliens have been visiting us. I I just love pursuing a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people like that. They like that journey. It's not really the destination they're they're mm-hmm. worried about. It gives you some sense of meaning. Oh, and I, I think all humans can um why, why else are we here? You know, the, the biggest questions in life. Why are we here? Um, you know, what happens when we die? Is there life elsewhere? Mm-hmm. And a lot of us are trying to figure out the life elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Other of us want to know why we're here. And I think this topic gives meaning and purpose to a lot of people out there. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's kind of what the whole guardian thing, like you say, mm-hmm. represents mm-hmm. Um, this want for something more. And um, I think that's why a lot of these conspiracy theories nowadays are so big because people want to feel like they know why things happen Mm -hmm. when in reality, we don't know why things happen. I find the conspiracy theories these days a lot. I mean, we were, my wife and I were rewatching the X-Files recently and it's like, we're just talking about how quaint the conspiracies of the 1990s were today. Like today it's like, (laughs) no one trusts anyone. Everything's fake news. Everything's a false flag operation. You can't trust anyone. It's like, It's just like when you think about Roswell or the, even the JFK conspiracy um, and you can't trust the government, it's always seen as like this sort of the shadow government, this group of people um, within the, the largely good government. But these days, it's just like you don't even want to leave the house. You can't breathe. You can't trust the air. You can't breathe the air. Um, 
everything's fake news. Doesn't matter how many facts you've got. All you have to say is that that's not true. And, and half your audience will believe you just based on those words. It's not even mm-hmm. proof. So the, the conspiracies of, of, uh, of TV shows and movies from like pre nine 11, like I said, they're almost adorable. They're almost precious, uh, precocious compared to what you have to deal with today. Like today's stuff, it's not entertainment. It's spooky. I don't want to watch that stuff. Like the X-Files today, um, even with the reboot, uh, or not the, not the reboot, but when they brought them back for a couple of those later seasons, it was like, how do you do the X-Files today and still make it entertaining where it's not just scary? Like, not scary wow. in a good way. Like, it's not, it's no longer escapism scary. It's, I don't want to watch an episode with that. I just saw, I just read that on CNN. I'm watching this because I'm right. watching the werewolf or even the alien conspiracy was a lot more quaint than, than, than stuff that you would see in the news today. It's, uh, it's, it's 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 just too close to home now you know so it's uh yeah it's something that i was just wondering like what would the like what does it look like today what, what would that what would those x-files look like today it's like no no it had its time you know like in the 90s like i said that second renaissance of of ufos and aliens in the media i mean we, we have different uh shows today that are popular so um it's fine but i mean even with ufos like i said it's just it's still a subject i mean there's still the occasional blip but um it's it's not what it was you know it's uh, yeah it was before you know Right. And I think you're right. I think, you know, even with Guardian, there's this sense of um, playfulness mm-hmm. almost to it and, um, and and almost an innocence, yeah. even if it was a hoax. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we got him. But nowadays, yep. you're right. I think why the X-Files didn't really land as well with those last two new seasons they did is because they tried to set it in real world yeah. 2019, 2018, up until mm-hmm. today. And it's it's too terrifyingly real. And I think that's why it didn't really work. No, it didn't work. No, no. And it's like, that, that was my take too. I mean, with, with the exception of a couple of episodes, it's usually right. standalones. Um, the, like the ones that Darren Morgan writes, who's always the funniest when he writes the funny ones. Um, my takeaway from it was, yeah, it's never as good as it used to be, but it's still nice to see the two actors together. They've got great chemistry. I love them both. So it's like, I'm willing to forgive them that they're not as good as the original. It was still nice to see. I mean, they're, it's never going to be as good as the original, but yeah, it's sort of like, in what world did they think that they'd be able to do something like this? And it's still going to be entertainment. It was just like, no, it's too close. This is like, close, like no. <laughs> I want that escapism. I knew, I knew that. Um, I knew when I got you on here, Ian, that this would turn into an X Files episode because as soon oh, yeah. as I saw you in that trench coat, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get along with this guy. Um, <laughs> but I guess, I mean, kind of, I guess, bringing it back a little to to Guardian um, in terms of evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a question some of my listeners had. I don't know if you have an answer for it or if any investigators do. Um, the thumbprint. Mm-hmm. I mean, was this ever analyzed or tested? It's almost like a. Um, you know, a, literally a mm-hmm. kidnapper leaving their calling card. Um, anything like that? Uh, it was. Um, the, the, there's there's blowups of it in the RCMP documents. So, I mean, um, I believe, and I think this is something, it's not, it, it, they didn't run the his print in, in the document or in the RCMP report itself, but I believe I'd, I'd asked the constable about that when we met with him. And again, this was, it's 91, it's... Um, it's not like they are collecting um, fingerprints of everyone, you know, contrary to what some conspiracy people might think. And you know, anytime you touch a penny, your, 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 your DNA and your fingerprints are, are in the record. Um, I think all they determined was that he didn't have a criminal record. I mean, if he didn't have a criminal record, um, it didn't match anything. It just, it didn't come up. Well, and you know, all they had was a thumbprint, right? They didn't have a full set of prints. Um, 
So assuming that it was actually Guardians print and it wasn't like his mom that he got to do it, you know, uh, I mean, that's what they always said with the old Zodiac letters, right? The Zodiac killer in San Francisco was, oh, well, he, you know, uh, when they were trying to pull DNA off the envelopes, oh, well, he did, what if he didn't lick the envelopes? What if he knew about DNA? It was like, well, it was the 1960s. You know, he, there was no DNA, like there was in the public consciousness, right? But, yeah. um, but even if he didn't, again, it's just like, yeah, it's it's circumstantial, right? You pull DNA off of something, and all it proves is that that person had contact with that object. So it's it doesn't necessarily mean, like, say, in this case, if this fingerprint matched someone, um, all it means is that that person touched that label. That label could have been in a drawer for years, and then a Guardian typed out Guardian on it and slapped it on. So, again, uh, from an investigating point of view, that's something where I would say um, – um, I thank my dad a lot is that I've got that uh, investigator's mind very, very skeptical. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just like, oh, yeah, it could be this, but it also could be that, 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 and that. It just, you know, people sort of want their own internal narrative, especially when a lot of people who come to ufology, um, they want to be Mulder, you know, and I want to be Mulder too. But again, I've got this, my dad background going, it's got to be logical. It's got to be a real investigation. You have to do this, this, and this. It's not a TV show, Ian. So, um I never jumped to conclusions about it. I tried to be as um, as methodical and scientific about it as, as a 17-year-old kid can be with limited resources for a case that everyone already had dismissed as a hoax. But I think even for me, it was just, I think even at that age, I was a lot more interested in the psychological aspect to it, too. It wasn't even that I thought the Guardian case was necessarily real. Um, I really just wanted to find Guardian. You know, I was searching for him, too. I wanted to talk to him and find out... Um, why he had done this, if there was anything legitimate and maybe it got, you know, taken out of context. Um, it was as much for me finding that on, on that level than it was really trying to find a UFO crash site in, in the woods. You know, like I wasn't really expecting to find anything, but again, it was fine. You're there. You might as well do it. It's an adventure, right? I'm not, I'm not expecting to find anything. I know that I'm, even though I say it feels like I'm in a movie, I know I'm not in a movie, you know, <laughs> I, even at that age, I was mature enough to, to know that much. So, but I was still there. You know, I was still doing it. So, I mean, maybe on some part of my mind, I thought I'd find something. Crashed UFO? Probably not, but maybe something. You know, maybe, maybe something. There, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. You know, like, it's just, that's what I will say. Like, those weird military signs, like fake military signs, they were they were just as spooky as some of that stuff on that tape. Like, who was making these things? You know, like, yeah. there, there, was, there was supposedly, like, there was a shed on a piece of property where a lot of these signs had been collected. I was trying to find the shed, too. So, who, who was doing this? Like, was there more than one guardian? What was, what was their agenda? You know? And it's just, it, it, I just wanted to crack it open. It wasn't even just about trying to find aliens. It was, it was trying to find the aliens among us, you know, <laughs> trying to find the people, you know, yeah. that was just as interesting, if not more so, you know? Exactly. And I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, when we get involved with UFOs or the question of aliens, it is kind of a mirror on ourselves. So we're not really looking for what is out there. We're, we're looking at who we are and what role we play in all of this. And I think that's what a lot of this um, UFO community represents is mm-hmm. uh, a need to want to know and a need to want to find out who mm-hmm. we are. So let's think of the other and how they would perceive us. You know, you look at like, the contactee movement back in the fifties, the sixties, you know, um, stop what you're doing. Don't build nukes. Like we got to all get along peace, love. And it's like, yeah, we don't need aliens to come down and intervene and tell us that Mm -hmm. we should know that as human beings, but, Mm -hmm. um, it is, I think it, it says a lot more about us than it does whatever happened in carp at that time. But, um, I got to ask you besides guardian, um, Mm -hmm. A lot of my Canadian viewers and listeners 
they were so thankful that this documentary came out that highlighted mm-hmm. something that happened in Canada because they don't get that that often, like we said at the top of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any cases that you would turn people to that have happened in Canada, oh, yeah. Canada that really make you think there's yeah. something going on here? Well, you know what? It's uh, like I said, I don't like to hog the spotlight for this just because I, I sort of know know so much about Guardian. I mean, I had a part to play in the investigation. But like I said, when you, the other investigators that I named who did a lot more of the grunt work than I did. Um, but in terms of other cases, uh, uh, Chris Rutkowski has got this great book about the Falcon Lake incident, which is probably the biggest. I mean, Guardian is definitely the most infamous. But in terms of like something actually happened here, I couldn't even tell you what it was, would be the Falcon Lake incident in Falcon Lake, um, Manitoba. Um, there's also Shag Harbor, um, Nova Scotia, where there was allegedly a, uh, a UFO that crashed um, into the harbor. Uh, and that's what that was even uh, like almost dramatized in like a, like a Marvel comic book. I think there was a comic book component to it where they, they had wrapped it up in some some story. Um, it almost immediately became part of the pop culture. So th- there's definitely we do have um, uh, cases in Canada uh, that are quite provocative, you know, quite interesting and, and for free for people to track down. So maybe, maybe not as much as there are in say the United States or, or abroad, um, which was something that, again, that I noticed before guardian was, it was always happening so far away. It was like Roswell or, uh, uh, Rendersome forest, you know, in, in the UK, um, great cases, but, uh, for stuff happening in Canada, much less in Ontario in my, in my neighborhood, my neck of the woods. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of more in Ontario, nothing really that big that I can think of other than yeah. the guardian it's nothing that really comes to mind again. Like I said, like I've been, I keep a toe into it um, for what's going on more recently, but um, going back to like the classic literature, I haven't really dug up into my old UFO books in a number of years, but the big ones would be yeah, Falcon Lake in Manitoba um, pick up Chris Rakowski's book on that one, uh, which is like the definitive guy. He wrote it with um, the witness's son. Um, right. And Mikulak, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Shag Harbor. Uh, I don't know if there's a definitive book on that. I think there's a there's a lot less evidence, probably because it supposedly crashed in the ocean and you can't really investigate out there. Um, but there still is um, there is a there is a good story to, to to that one too. Those those would be the two biggest I would say if you're trying to get a crash course and and the big Canadian cases. I would say those are probably two of the biggest. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree. Um, well, let's talk about Ian Rogers today. You know. <laughs> We left UFO guy behind. We're now a published author um, mm-hmm. with many books and novellas under your belt. Tell mm-hmm. us a little about um, your horror writing, if you don't mind, man. I love to see like what happened then and how it brings you to where you are today. So tell us what you're up to nowadays. Yeah, well, like I said, it's funny. Like my my mom is that was a really strong influence um, in terms of horror fiction. She uh, she always had Stephen King books and Dean Coon book Dean Coon's books lying around the house. And um, even in terms of like movies, like my sister and I, we used to watch horror movies all the time, even as kids. Um, my dad wasn't wasn't a really big horror fan, but my parents really just didn't believe they didn't really believe in censoring us. I mean, within reason, uh, we were pretty much allowed to watch whatever we wanted. the The only real rule was. Um, from my dad that if, if it gives you nightmares, you're cut off. That's it. So, and I mean, even as kids, I remember like the only, the only movie that we ever had to turn off and rewatch the next day was, I think it was like, uh, Sam Raimi's the evil dead, you know, it was just a really terrifying movie. We just didn't tell my dad. It was like, no, no don't tell him or else we're going to get cut off. So it was like, we, we started, it was really scary. We turned it off and finished it in the morning. And, and, uh, 
but yeah, I mean, it was just, that's the horror influence from a kid is like, you've got this stuff. And for us, I get, I think just because we knew it was movies, even though we we're scared, um, we knew it wasn't real. So it didn't really, I don't think it did. <laughs> it didn't warp us the way that some people think, uh, uh, media like that can can do that to kids. So I mean, it's funny. I mean, for for as much as I was interested in in UFOs and aliens, um, uh, I didn't go into writing science fiction. I, I write horror fiction. Um, I have written one UFO novel that I actually haven't sold yet, um, which was funny because that was something that my agent was talking about recently. Was it's too bad this book isn't ready when your UFO documentary is coming out. That's the book we should be selling right now. But we're I'm shopping a different book right now and. Uh, yeah, I do some work with, uh, I've got a lot of stuff that's been optioned by, uh, by Hollywood for film and television. So, um, always waiting for something like that to take off. You, don't, you never know. It's always a crapshoot with that kind of stuff, but I've got people that, that are interested in that regularly, you know, I consider my work, um, which is always nice. Um, yeah, so it's, it's mostly, um, like supernatural fiction, haunted house fiction. Um, I do a series called The Blacklands. It's a sort of a supernatural detective noir series. I call them super noir trolls. Um, it's, it's basically a world where the supernatural just exists. Uh, it's been around since the 1940s. Um, actually, I used a UFO event, the disappearance of Flight 19. So, um, these, these ships go off into the, you know, to do a, uh, um, an exercise bombing run off of the, um, the Atlantic coast of Florida and they vanish. So in my world, sort of, I guess you would say it's alternate history. Um, they've come across these portals. This is the arrival of these portals. So it's almost like reality has been, you know, raked over a cheese grater and all these portals start to appear all over the world. Um, they're invisible. You can't see them. And they open onto a world that lies right next to ours. And it's called, they call it the Blacklands because there's no sun over there. It's always, it's perpetual night. Um, and it's filled with Every supernatural creature you can think of, all the stuff that comes from our superstitions, this is where it comes. It's this other world that sort of lies next door to our own. So the world for the past 70 or 80 years has learned to has has learned to live with these portals. So um, most of them uh, or there's I would say that there's a large concentration of them off of um, the, the Atlantic coast, which is what the Bermuda Triangle is. So it's like right. it's a no shipping, no fly zone. You're just not allowed to go out there. There's too many of them. You can't see them. Um, then they start showing up on land. So the uh, government's responses around the world is they, they put fences around them. They, they, cause you can't destroy them. You, you they, they can't fill them up there. Um, um, and more of them are appearing every year. So they're not, I wouldn't say there, there's so many portals that there's like one in every town. They're still fairly rare, but it, they're real. It's a reality that, uh, that people have to accept. So I just want to see what would it be like in a world where, you know, you couldn't tell your kids that monsters don't exist. You know, they're going to learn about it in school when they're old enough. You know, it's part of our history now. So um, you're, you're still probably, it's like a shark attack. You're still probably more likely to be hit by lightning than you are to ever be killed by a supernatural creature. But the reality is the fact is it could happen. So I just really wanted to have this sort of a regular world where the only thing that's different is that the supernatural exists and we're still afraid of it. We're not, we're not using it. You know, people aren't using magic to do their taxes or walk their dogs or anything. It's still, it's still this menace that's hovering over their head. So um, one of the characters in, in the series is a uh, private investigator named uh, Felix Wren. And um, he just investigates supernatural cases. It's whatever, all his cases have got some sort of a supernatural bent, but then there's another character, uh, Jerry Baldwin, and he's a real estate agent he sells haunted houses. He sells haunted property because in a world where ghosts exist and haunted houses exist, someone's got to sell those houses. So yeah. it's almost like the guardian case though. I really tried to find a, as realistic 
um, approach as I could while still keeping it fun. So um, it's like, well, if these houses are so dangerous, why would he sell them? It's like, well, there's definitely some he's not allowed to sell. The feds don't let him sell these certain houses. They're off the market. They're purposely left empty. Um, but other people, you're going to tell me that if someone uh, that, that, that real, there were real haunted houses, there wouldn't be someone, maybe some rich weirdo collects them. Like they would absolutely, oh, yeah. or, <laughs> or they'd be so cheap that people that can't afford a regular house would buy it. So they would just deal with the bleeding walls or the wrapping in the middle of the night, you know? So it was just, and, and he just spins it. Like he's, he's, he's not a, he's not a sleazy guy. Um, um, he believes in his work. He, he thinks the supernatural is great. Um, so he's really trying to find the right people for the right home. In this case, the right haunted house for the right home. It's, it's a certain people that go with it, but his stories are, uh, are a bit lighter. Um, but that was the idea with the series that each character um, it's the world. That's the recurring character. Um, I right. can tell all these different stories. I can tell a standalone story with none of these characters, or I can tell a story with the real estate guy, or I can tell a story with um, the, the private investigator. Um, there's a third character who's a, uh, she's like a federal agent. She's sort of like a Clarice Starling meets James Bond, you know, because if you've got a uh, supernatural crime in this world, well, you're going to need a new agency. You, know, you can't be the FBI. You can't be the RCMP. So they've got the paranormal intelligence agency, you know, so it's the PIA in this world. So she's an agent of the PIA and she investigates um, supernatural crime on, on a federal level. So again, it's kind of like the X-Files meets James Bond. So uh, again, I, I'm trying to make it seem as realistic as, as it would be like, if this really happened, what would be the world's response? What would the government's response? What would industry right. like? Like, what would, like I've got a short story and it's like, it's the fishing industry in the Bermuda Triangle. Like how dangerous is it? You know, um, what does it actually look like? You know, like it's just, these are the things where it's just that you're trying to, you're trying to find really cool ways to tell stories um, that are almost believable, even though they're supernatural. I think that's one of the reasons why someone like Stephen King has always done so well is um, he's always been able to just to take ordinary people or ordinary things in the world and just tweak them with the supernatural. Right. Cause his characters are very believable. The settings are very believable and that's yeah. why his books are scary. If, if you can make the, your, your world believable, the minute that you start to insinuate horrible things, they also seem believable and that's why they're scary. That's why they're scary. If it's so fantastic, no one cares. It's, it's just, you're, you're, you're disconnected, but right. it's like, well, a dog gets rabies because that's a horrible thing that happens. But what if it's a, what if it's a giant St. Bernard, right? Those dogs exist. People like them and that's scary. So a rabid dog is scary. A rabid St. Bernard is terrifying. And that's what Stephen King understands, you know? So, and that's what I hope that I've sort of learned from him. If anything, you know, I mean, obviously I'm a huge fan. There's a number of writers that, that I love and I admire, but uh, you know, King always sort of overshadows everything. A lot of people grow up with him. And for me, that was, it wasn't just the fact that he's famous and that, that he's a, he's a really good writer, even though he is, for me, it was always, um, the believability of his work, you know, it's like, it's like, well, yeah, you know, like if, if vampires were going to insinuate themselves in a town and they could get away with it in some like uh, a quiet little New England town, that's what Salem's lot would be. You know, they would just take it over. You know, it's just, it's just very believable. I think that's the key to his success is, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's supernatural, you know, it's, it's not true. But there's a part of you that thinks that if it did exist, though, that's how it would. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it would go down. You're right. It's always like one step beyond uh, what is actually happening. Um, that sounds awesome. And I'm definitely going to have to check out that series because mm. I think, again, it kind of uh, encapsulates everything you've kind of done in your life in mm. terms of once being, you know, at the center of this UFO event and investigating it and 
there's that other part of you and the other part of me that goes on day to day, whether it's menial tasks or going to work or, um, you know, uh, doing what you're doing in your relationships in your life. And then there's this other part of your life where it's like, this person claimed they were abducted by aliens. So mm-hmm. I got to go deal with that right now mm-hmm. instead of, you know, mm-hmm. um, how I'm going to pay the next bill, this, that. Exactly. So it's like these two worlds colliding. So yeah. that's pretty cool. I, um, I, I did read the, like I said, I never wrote the book on Guardian. I said that doesn't really have a final act because it's not satisfying because it's not aliens, right? It's not even right. ambiguous. So, I mean, there's no, that's why I never wrote the <laughs> Guardian book. But in a fictional way, I've definitely... I guess you could say taken some things, cannibalized some stuff from the whole Guardian thing and thrown it into one of my uh, science fiction books, which will hopefully be published. By. It's never, it's not finished, but it was like, this is too good, you know? And it was just like, I've got to use it. So it's, it's not, it's not literally the case, but I mean, uh, um, there are definitely components. Anyone that knows the Guardian case and who would read this would be like, oh yeah, that's Guardian. You know, that's, that's, that's yeah. from that Unsolved Mysteries episode, because why not? It's such a great story, you know? Yeah, it is. Well, I guess kind of wrapping things up, Ian, um, what do you hope people will take away from both UFO town and uh, the guardian case overall? What's like the one thing you hope that uh, viewers will take and uh, listeners will take away from all of this? Well, I hope first and foremost is that anyone who is coming to it because they're familiar with the guardian case, whether it's from the unsolved mysteries episode or, or, or from, from just reading about it online, I hope that they are getting um, as much of the full story um, as you can really get with still maintaining some of the fun mystery to it all. Um, but I'm also hoping that they, um, even the people who don't know anything about the guardian case, just really enjoy UFO town for, for what it is, which is just this really, um, quality, respectful examination of, of belief and, and why we believe the things that we do, why mystery is so compelling, um, and why we don't always need the answers. You know, it's just, um, it's, it's sometimes it's just nice just to sort of luxuriate in the fact that you're not going to know everything. It's, and that's okay. It's, it's, it's hard to believe that, you know, because I'm the kind of person who usually wants to know everything. But I can tell you, man, after 30 years, even though I've, I'd say like I'm like 97, 98% sure of everything that happened to my satisfaction, there's always going to be stuff that you don't know. And whereas as a 16, 17-year-old kid, that would have driven me right up the wall. Now I'm just like, hey, that's cool. I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. I love that. Live in the mystery. And you're right. There's always that like 1% of this UFO mystery that remains open. And that's what keeps me going. You know, 99% of it is probably explainable in some Mm -hmm. prosaic or even anomalous way. Mm -hmm. And then there's that 1% that just Mm -hmm. keeps people going. Um, That's so cool, man. Well, I do want to let our viewers and listeners know, I know I have a lot of Canadian listeners Mm -hmm. and viewers. We are on the E1 podcast network out of Toronto. So um, if you do want to watch UFO Town, you can stream it for free on the CBC Gem streaming service. So please go check that out right after this if you haven't already. But um, Ian, in terms of everything you're up to, brother, where can we find all of your work and um, and keep continuing to follow this journey you're taking, man? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm active on all the social media channels. You know, look me up on Facebook or uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Uh, One more shadow is my handle. Most places. Um, I have my writing website, which is ianrogers.ca. Uh, I'm pretty much the most Googleable Ian Rogers. There's a, there's a, there's an Australian chess master whose name is Ian Rogers. So it's me and him. We're both battling for dominance of Google right now. So, but yeah, if you Google me, you pretty much find me uh, everywhere out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, drop me a line about, uh, 
about UFO Town or Guardian or or my writing. I've got all kinds of stuff that's available to free for free to to read for free online if you want to check out some of my stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, usually I've got some good writing news coming. There's lots of stuff happening this year that I hope to report on. Um, UFO Town is something I'm just really, really proud of. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. Lots of cool stuff coming. So uh, yeah, definitely hope people will stay in touch. Awesome. Well, I got to thank you for kind of um, demystifying a lot of this for us tonight, man. I think we needed it. Um, I hope people will check out the doc, check out all your work. And of course, I got to thank you for coming on Somewhere in the Skies tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. And whether I'm researching, working on the podcast, or sky watching from my roof late at night, I need something to keep me awake, alert, and ready to tackle the mysteries in our skies. That's why I'm so excited to announce the launch of the official Somewhere in the Skies coffee. That's right, we've got our own coffee roast. Black Triangle Coffee is a veteran-owned small-batch coffee roaster out of Santan Valley, Arizona. As a coffee fiend and former specialty coffee barista, I've been working very closely with owner and head roaster, Andrew Lowe, to create the perfect blend to reflect somewhere in the skies. Our beans are sourced from local farms off the shores of Lake Kivu, This Rwandan coffee bean is full-bodied with tastes of red apple, hibiscus, dried fig, sweet orange, and cocoa. It's bold, it's dark, and it is sure to keep you running on all cylinders. While you listen to the podcast, hunt down UFOs, or if you're on the run from the men in black. So help support Black Triangle Coffee by ordering the Somewhere in the Skies Roast today. Listeners of Somewhere in the Skies get an exclusive discount right now by using the promo code SITSPOD at checkout. That's S-I-T-S-POD. To order, head on over to blacktrianglecoffee.com. Remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching or drinking Somewhere in the Skies. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.